the verse, as we read it in Revelation, I want to speak on it today, that Jesus holds the key to your future. Listen to it. Revelation 3, 7. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, the debate is whether this angel is a human messenger. Angel means messenger, literally. And some debate, is it angelic spirit world or the local pastor? I'm inclined to take the local pastor. I just don't know how angels are overseeing this church. But there's spirit beings here. I know that. Ephesians 3 said the place, angels attend our services. And uh, he says, these are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key to David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I've placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars. I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come upon the whole world to test those who live on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. Him who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will he leave it. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on him my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Three things I want us to consider. What he wants us to know about him. Two, what he wants you to know that he knows about you. Five promises he makes to those who are the overcomers, the true believers in this church. Um, what he wants you to recognize about himself. Uh, I think, first of all, we have to reach back to chapter 1, verse 20, to get the setting. Let's take verse 19. Write there for what you have seen, what is now, and what will take place later. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, whether human messengers or angelic. And he walks among the seven gold lampstand. So how can we do this? Uh, I think if we really had a picture of the church, uh, we would really have to say every Sunday Jesus attends this church. 
Jesus is a tender this church. He walks in the midst of the lampstand. You thought he's just up there, didn't you? What did he say? He said, I walk in the midst of the lampstand. Um, matter of fact, you don't know this. You may not believe it. You really don't. You think I'm the head of this place. I'm not. I'm just a servant. Christ is the head of every church that belongs to him. He is the head. He bought the church. He's preeminent in the church. Now, now let me ask you, do you really think he attends this place? With you also attending. Would Jesus go to church where you go? Is Jesus running the church you belong? Well, he says, and these churches are, many of them in bad condition. Philadelphia is, is one of the best in Smyrna. The suffering church and the weak church he has no criticisms of. And so let's just imagine that Christ is uh, evaluating us. And this is what, what to God we could be, Philadelphia. I hope we are. I keep fighting being Laodicea. And I fight being Ephesus, losing my first love, or becoming so cold that I'm frozen all the time I say I know God. So what does he want us to know about himself? Four things. First of all, obvious, obvious. Uh, I hold the church in my right hand. I am a present attender in my church. I am intimately involved. It's amazing how many people are not churchmen. They just drop in once in a while. They pay us a visit, but they're not really a part of God's church. Uh, they go to one church for a youth group, another church because they like the music, another church because they like the preacher, but they don't belong to any. But Christ says to these churches, I've got you in my right hand, and I attend the services, and I pray that the Spirit will give you an ear to say what I have to say. Can we hear what he says? Two, I want you to know I'm holy. That means I'm different. I'm set apart. There's nothing in all the world like me. I'm like God because I am God. I'm holy. I'm in a league all of my own. I'm so separate. Nobody's in my category. I'm in the category, Hero Israel, the Lord your God is holy. So you be holy like him, and we only get there in degrees. But he's absolutely holy, absolutely different, absolutely unique. He's above Muhammad. He's above Buddha. He's above every cult. He's above every name that's named. I am holy. I am God. I want you to know that. Not Nero. Not the emperors, not Domitian, not those who will persecute you. I am holy. Besides that, I'm truthful. And that word truthful takes on uh, secondary meanings at times. If I'm truthful, it means I'm reliable. Uh, I'm trustworthy. You can count on me to fulfill and do everything I say. I am a reliable God. I've never told a lie. I can't lie. It's contrary to my being. So listen to me. You can count on whatever I say about myself as being a unique phrase that I have, uh, I hold the key of David. This comes from Isaiah 22. Under Hezekiah, he had a treasurer by the name of Elakim. And Elakim 
oversaw, he was a good man, he oversaw the treasure chest and the treasure house of the king. And whoever held the key had the authority to access the king's goods. Key is a key word that means authority. The keys to the kingdom, the authority to open the kingdom to you. Christ said in chapter 1, I have the keys of death and Hades in my hand. I have exercised authority in the realm of death. I have visited the cemetery, and I have the keys. I am the absolute authority in the realm of death and the grave. I have the keys. And he tells them, I hold the key of David. What are you saying to this church? Um, I think he's simply saying, I'm your key man. I'm the key to your future. I am the key to you finding access to the resources of God. You, you can't get anything from God but through me. You can't do anything without me. Philadelphia, I am the key to your future, not programs alone, not technology, not man's wisdom. I am the key to my church. I know how to build a church that even hell cannot conquer. I am the thing you've got going there. You're in a city that's been ravished by earthquakes, built upon volcanic uh, uh, ground. They had many earthquakes, destroyed many times, renamed as a city many times, Flavius, Nero, Caesarea. They kept changing the name. They quit fleeing the city because of earthquakes. And he's saying, let me tell you why you exist there. Against all odds is you have me as your key man. I, I can give you access to all the power. Matter of fact, I've got all authority in heaven and earth. I am central. And you know, there's a great battle today. Believe it or not, believe this or not, one of the most missing subjects in church today is Jesus Christ. I want a marriage class. Good, we offer them. You can have a good marriage and still not know Christ, but it'd be wonderful if you knew Christ and had a good marriage. It's not one or the other. But you can do a lot of things in the name of church and never get to Christ. You know, of course, in the public arena, you can pray a prayer, but don't ever close it in Jesus' name. There is the offense. We don't mind religion. We just don't want to bring him up. Now, in the church, he says, remember, I am the key to your future. You know, I like to think of this in your personal life. Uh, Christ ought to be the key, key man in your individual life. Because you going to go on and say, when you've got the keys, you can open doors that no man can open. Is it money? Is it strength? Uh, you know, when we had our first Sunday service. Another church gave me a love offering of $140. That's how the first month's rent was paid. Another church paid our first month's rent. 48 chairs, 
And you can't build a church with three ladies and a little girl and a dying dad. You think this thing that you have inherited, you see, some of you, someday I'm going to hand off this church. I'm going to die, resign, or get voted out. But I'll, I'll be gone someday. And as I feel sometimes like the children of Israel. I remember the march in the wilderness. I feel like Caleb, Joshua. You, you don't know what you've already. Oh, we're not the best. Not, not at all. But if you only knew where we came from, you had to be elect to even come. Our facilities were so bad, so cold, so shabby. You talk about curb appeal. We look like the sanitary district. Terrible buildings. Terrible conditions. No heat in the winter. No, no cooling. Why did you even come? How did we endure? It had to be Christ was doing something that no human being could do. He was some way bringing the people together for his name in this area from many backgrounds. And he said, I want you to know this. I'm the key man. Now, uh, there's something else he says. I want you to know what I know about you. Number one, I know your deeds. Uh, not your talk. I know what you're doing. I know exactly what you're doing, and I know exactly what you're not doing. That is a scary thing. He says this to all these churches. I know what you're doing. I'm acquainted with it. And here's something else I know about you. You happen to be in the category of weak. You're weak. And it, this does not seem to be a spiritual condition because uh, he would have rebuked them for that. He, would have, uh, he was not hesitant to rebuke them. This is not their spiritual condition. Blessed are the poor in spirit. You don't know what that means. I know you don't. But some of my most blessed times is when I feel my greatest poverty. Has anyone ever been there? When you feel poor as you can be, you've done some of your best preaching, some of your best living, because you knew it wasn't your resources. Somebody else had to be getting you through. And he's saying to them, I know you're weak, and that could be numerically. They could have been a small church, probably were. Probably a house church. You're certainly not impressive. You have little strength. You have little to attract. There, there's something I put you in the category of weakness, but you can be weak and not be in sin. You can be weak and not out of the will of God. You can be in a weakened condition and uh, be perfectly in the will of God. And he says, I know that about you. I know how weak a bunch I'm working with down in Philadelphia. I wish you knew how weak you were. You can't get anything done unless I become your doorkeeper. You don't have the strength to open the doors. You just don't have the strength. You don't have the keys. You don't have the power. Hey, chump, you're Mr. Weak. You can run a company, but you couldn't run a church because you don't know how to change lives. You know how to fire people. You know how to hire people. You know how to demand things, but you can't save. You can't change a life. You can't turn anybody around. Only I can do that. Executives can't run the church in their power. They'll fail quickly because only Christ can authentically do the life change that we all need. 
And so he says, I know you're weak. Uh, and I, I think of uh, a graduate when he was graduating from seminary, he, he, as he won a cross and got his degree and he gave uh, a testimony, he said, I now feel adequate for the ministry God has for me. John Piper was there, and John said, I quaked when I heard him say it, for the greatest apostle said, who is adequate for these things? Who is adequate for these things? Our adequacy comes from God, who has made us fit ministers of the gospel. Nobody can go to seminary and become adequate. There's nobody on the staff of Jesus that's adequate. He's the adequacy. He's the power. He makes the difference. But you want to trace it to a man because we want to lift men up. We're all about men. We love idolatry and hero work. No, no, no. I know Philadelphia. If I do anything at Philadelphia, it won't be because of your strength. It'll be because of my power and my authority. Can you live with that as a church? Does the church even expect Jesus to do anything? He's not dead. You might be. He's not. He's strong. You're weak. He's got the power. He's got the key. There's no door he's ever met he can't open. That's what he's telling them. We've got to believe that. And I'll be with my church to the end of the age, and I'll hold the key to your future. He goes on to tell them that uh, uh, you've kept my word. Boy, isn't that wonderful? They just kept, they, they kept clinging to it standing on it, uh, obeying it, loving it. Are you keeping his word? Do you, do you love? This is a new Bible, so there's new gold. You're supposed to wear that off. Some of you just keep it on the TV. It's never wore out. Um, do you keep it? Do you keep it? Do you cling to it? You stand on it when your heart's broken, when your mind's confused, when the fog is around in your life, you don't know which way to go. And you just say, all I've got are words from God. God wrote me some letters, 66 of them, in which he talks to me when the Spirit of God has my heart. You see, never pray for God to make this book alive. The one that's dead is us. He's got to make us alive. The book's alive. It's just the condition of your heart that sometimes I read it, it's like chewing straw. It's dry. I can't hear anything, can't see anything. Guess what? God says, guess what? Your ears aren't open. I need to do something. That's why you need to pray before you read the Bible. Ask God to teach you. You've kept my word. You've got little strength. I know your deeds. You've not denied my name. Now, uh, it wasn't easy to live for Christ in those days. It's like some of you. Have you ever notified anybody on your job that you're a Christian? You don't really want to do that and then cuss a guy out. You know, you got to figure out if you want to be known for cussing or known for holding the name. Well, what do you represent? The name? And I uh, looked up Fox's Book of Martyrs. I read it every once in a while to remind myself of how wimpy I am. But I love the testimony of Polycarp when they arrested him and wanted to martyr him. So they had him at the stake, 
And uh, uh, because he was such a devout man and known in the area for being a devout bishop, uh, the magistrate said, if you'll just give up the name of Jesus, we will let you go and let you finish out your years. There's no need of you unnecessarily dying because you won't deny the name. Polycarp says this, and I quote, 80 and six years have I served him, and he never once wronged me. How then shall I blaspheme my king who has saved me? And he asked of them when they started to tie him to the stake, he said, please don't tie me. I'll stand immovable. I won't run. I won't move. And when he stood there, the fires kept going out for some way it wouldn't take. And so out of frustration, a Roman soldier threw the sword into his side, and so much blood came out, it extinguished what flame was trying to get going. And so out of frustration, once he died, they lit a fire because his enemy says, we don't want even uh, a bone to remain. And his believing friends gathered up the ashes and what bones had not been burnt totally to nothing so they could put him in a Christian grave. But he says, I can't give up the name. I can't deny. I've learned from Peter that when you're weak, you can deny, you can run. But Philadelphia, I've been watching you. You haven't denied that you know me. You haven't given up the name. And because you haven't given up my name, I'm going to rename you. And we'll see. He goes on to say, you've kept the patience of Jesus. And that means you've suffered in your trials in the pattern of Jesus. You kept trusting God. You responded to hardship in the same way Jesus did. You kept his patience, his model of suffering under pressure. Now he says, I'm going to promise you five things. Because you're following me, you've kept my word. You've not denied my name. You've got a little strength. You're unimpressive. But this is what I promise you. Number one, I've set before you an open door that no one can shut. What is the open door? Some say the door of salvation. Well, Christ absolutely is the door of salvation. He said that in John 10. I am the door. No man enters in except through me. Some take it to be the door of the expansion of the kingdom. As Peter preached in Acts, he had the keys to the kingdom, and he's opening up the gospel to the Gentiles. It did happen. Some take it to be uh, the opportunities for mission outreach, uh, any door of opportunity to represent Christ, to lead men to Christ. In there, it must be in some, the door of salvation to others, the door of ministry to others. Whatever uh, impact, whatever ministry you're going to have in Philadelphia, remember, I've got the key, and when I turn it, I set a door, and it's permanently open to you just do what I want. And you know what's interesting? Out of the seven churches of Asia Minor, all of them were wiped out, taken over by the Turks and even the Muslims. 
But Philadelphia is the only one that still has a Christian community in it. The only one. After all these centuries. I was set before you an open door. And I, let me talk to you, believer. Child of God. I don't know what doors are slammed in your face right now. But if you will cling to his word, cling to his name, he's thoroughly acquainted with all your weaknesses. He's thoroughly acquainted with all that you can't do. You know what? It's not up to you if you'll cling to the one that can. Cling to the doorkeeper. Cling to the the gate opener. And he says, I am the key to your future. I must say I've never had any great courses on church growth because I've really never learned a whole lot about it because I couldn't tell you yet today. Uh, I, can, I always love Rich telling the story because he could principalize and help put things out there that are good that I don't seem to have the ability to synthesize. Oh, I'm so mystical and so Mr. Magoo, God did it. Well, it's not real helpful when you want to learn how to do it. God did it. said, come on, could you give me a little bit more? Well, there might be more, but for me, Jesus opened this door. Jesus has kept the door open. Jesus is the explanation for me of what's happened at Valley. If we close today, Jesus has been the doorkeeper, and Jesus got us this far. And Jesus, I'm glad you're in attendance. You heard me say that. The head of the church just think, the head of the church is sitting somewhere in this building. You ought to think of that when you come to church. It might keep you away. What do you think it is? He said, when I have eyes that pierce people. We don't think Jesus attends church. He says, here, I'm in the midst of this. I walk in the lampstands. I, I walk over in the junior department. I, I, I'm in the foyer. I, I attend the place. I care. I bought the church with my own blood. You think I wouldn't attend? And he says to them, I promise to open doors to you that you can't dream of. You know, being a kid preacher, uh, it was very embarrassing to think, to go even public at 15 and say, you know what? And the the first ones I told was my parents and my sister. I I think God's wanting me to preach. and, And my dad had great words. Don't quit brushing your teeth and uh, things. You know, he wasn't really impressed. Because every other Howard could preach a little bit, whatever they called it. They'd get excited. But it's embarrassing. And it was real embarrassing when I told the Lord, if you open doors, I'll step through them. And what was so embarrassing, God could open the doors and I would do such a mess. Because I didn't know how to preach. I just said, I'm willing. So I started reading preaching books and homiletics books in 16 years of age. I was reading all the Southern Baptist boys because they outlined so good. And I start robbing sermons and learn how they did. I just doing it in practice because if you're holding a youth meeting and you're up every night and you don't know what you're doing, you scramble a lot. And what amazed me is I kept being asked to come back as a kid, youth groups. Uh, doors would keep opening. I said, Lord, this really doesn't make sense when you know how weak I am and you know how incapable I am. He said, don't, don't, don't worry about that. You said you'd step through the door if I opened it. 
Well, for 51 years, he's been opening doors. And he's been enabling me to just step through them. And I've never lost my weakness. I never lost my powerlessness. Never lost. I, and I just feel like this morning you're just hearing a 15-year-old boy that just lived 51 years beyond, but I'm still a 15-year-old kid just saying, God, if you open the door, I'll show up. That's all there is going on. Not advertising expertise or greatness. You see, God gave me a line recently. I'm not the best, but I'm going to give God my best. I'm not the best. Are you? Ask your wife before you answer that. <laughs> Ask a few of us before, let another's lips praise you, not your own. Some of you are legends in your own mind. <laughs> That's your problem. You're self-deceived. You don't know how bad you come across. But no one's got the courage to tell you because you're big and ugly. But this promise here, I promise a weak lampstand living with earthquakes geographically, living under the heel of Rome. Lampstand, I am the key. And I want to say this, as Christ was our future in 1971, he's our future in 2010. We don't have a future without his good hand on us. We don't have a future without him opening the doors, without him holding the enemy away. He's our future. I'm counting on Jesus, not me. I'm counting on his power, not yours. I've got all authority, all power, and I can subdue nations. I can open doors to any country I want, and I can open doors in Hercules and in the Bay Area and get my name and my gospel out. I am the doorkeeper. I promise I've got an open door set before you. What a promise. He goes on to say, some other things. He said, I will save those who oppose you. They're naming the name of being Jews, but really their synagogue is a working place of Satan. He said, I will bring them to your feet, and they're going to fall down and call on your God. So your greatest opponents and greatest enemies, I plan to save them. Just remain steadfast. I promise to save. Thirdly, I'll keep you out of the hour of worldwide tribulation. Now, there's several takes on this. We never read exactly of any worldwide thing that they immediately went into. Uh, some take it to be the tribulation that begins to be described in chapter 6 through 19, what we know as pre-tribulation or the tribulation period, Daniel 9, uh, this end-day cataclysm of what he's going to do on the earth, the great judgment. And that he said, because you've kept my name, I promise to keep you out of that hour. That's very specific in the Greek. When he says out of, it's ek. Not in it, but out of it. The hour of the tribulation, very specific, not just any tribulation in, in general, but a specific hour, I promise I'll exempt you from that. Others would take it to be an imminent, maybe, trial, plague, famine, whatever. I believe it's the tribulation, and I hope I'm right. And so he makes them a promise 
that I'll keep you from a worldwide tribulation. And he uses the word, it will come upon the earth dwellers. And he never calls Christians earth dwellers. We're called pilgrims. This is kata oikos. We have not settled down and have our roots in the earth. We are the people that are just on the earth, but our roots are not in the earth. Our roots are into the third heaven. We're, we're like in a diving suit getting air from another world. We're down at the bottom of the sea living in this world, but I hope he keeps pumping the air to me because I'm in another world trying to live heavenly. Then he says, I will establish you as a pillar in the temple of my God. Let me say something about the t- this pillar. Pillar represents uh, stability, immovability, uh, uh, established. And this was, had such a cultural background because these people were used to fleeing buildings because Philadelphia had been leveled to the ground along with Sardis. Sardis was hit, but the epicenter of the earthquake hit right where Philadelphia was. And so they slept outside at night. They slept in tents because they were used to always fleeing an earthquake. Flee, flee. Seeing buildings crumble. Fleeing for your life. And here Christ says, by the way, when you take your stand for me, I've got a future for you that will be immovable like a pillar in a temple. You'll never be moved, and he says something that you miss at first, and you'll never go out again. I've got an eternal destiny where you won't have to flee in the night and run anymore. You'll be permanently established in the city of my God because you refuse to give me up in a hostile world. I'll establish you like a pillar. I want to give you security for eternity. And then he says, finally, I'm going to give you some names in eternity future. Number one, I'm going to put the name of my God on you. That means when you put the name on them, you own them. God is going to own you for eternity. Two, I'm going to put the name of the new city, New Jerusalem. We won't rename this city. We won't go from Philadelphia to Nero, Caesarea, back to Philadelphia, then to Flavius, then back to Phil. No, I want to give you the name of your permanent address for all eternity. I'm going to inscribe the name of the city on you, and I plan to put on you my new name. And Revelation 19 says, when he rides with the armies of heaven coming back to the earth, they look up and they see inscribed on him, he has a name on him that no man knows except himself. A name describes something about a person that's unique to them, especially the Hebrew names. They had meaning. It's interesting how some family nicknamed their children a lot. You don't know what their name is. Carolyn has a, uh, a cousin whose name is Jonathan Edwards G. You couldn't get a more uh, stately, uh, great name, but they've called him Chipper for all these years. But now he's a pastor, so he goes to the missing field. Chipper just not working good through immigration, so he's gone back to Jonathan. Some people have grown up with names like... Um, you're a loser. Uh, if you grow up on rap music, you're a whore. You're a liar. You're a thief. 
You're a womanizer. You, you're just a failure. What name have you been known for in this life? And here Christ says to Philadelphia, I'm going to be sure. I know you by name in John 10. I know all my sheep by name. But there's something about the eternal state he's going to, that's unique to him that you're going to be identified with for all eternity. And every negative name that you've ever borne will for sure be dropped when you see him face to face. He's going to rename you. See, it's what Jacob did. The conniver, the deceiver, the cheat, the runner. God has a wrestling match with him, and he said, I'm going to do something for you lying, conniving, deceiving Jacob. I want to name you Israel. I'm not going to leave you like I found you. You may limp from now on, but you're going to have a new identity. And he tells this church, do this. Remember, I'm coming. I'm coming. I'm coming. Remember, I'm coming. Remember, I'm coming. And two, don't let anybody rob you of your crown. The robbers are loose. They'll get you discouraged. They'll talk you out of ministry. They'll talk you out of serving God. They may talk you out of taking your stand for Jesus. They'll talk you out of keeping the word. They'll talk you out of being in love with Christ. They'll be critical of the church, critical of Christ, critical of everything. And, and you'll, be, you, you'll get into doubting castle, and you'll begin to doubt. You'll begin to question, and all of a sudden, you've lost the joy you had. You lost the rest and the peace you had, and pretty soon, everything that you had forward to look, something to look forward to has been stripped from you, and you become a miserable, miserable attender at Philadelphia. Tim and I were talking before the service. There's nothing as deadening to knowing God as familiarity. You know why we don't sing Amazing Grace in this church? Most of you don't sing it with any heart. It's just an old song that you heard all your life. The guy that wrote it said, I was the wretch. And you know, if you get modern hymnologists, they would take wretch out because nobody's wretched in our culture. John Newton said, I was a wretch. I sold slaves. I raped women. I did things for which I will be eternally ashamed of. He saved a wretch like me. And so it was not a ditty. Did it have a nice drum roll or a nice bass riff on it? It was a sentiment that he sang. But what we do, we get in church and uh, we just get so familiar with John 3.16, Psalms 23. We've heard it all. Well, you know what? You haven't either. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying. And what is the Spirit saying to you today? He knows all about you. He hopes you know something about him like he is holy, he is true. He holds the key. Why aren't you trusting Christ with your future? You can't trust the stock market, can you? You can't trust your broker. And start doing it yourself and file bankruptcy because you don't know anything. Nobody can predict. I know one person who has all authority about your future. 
I point you to Jesus. Cling to him. Cling to his word for however many, for the rest of what's left in your life, why don't you cling to him? How many years have you wasted not clinging to him, not loving him, not owning him? Why don't you cling to the key man, the holder of the keys to your life? Our Father, we have no future apart from Christ. I was going to hell until the key man opened the door of my heart and opened the door to salvation. Thank you, Lord Jesus. You opened me up to a brand new life in you. You are the door, and you enable us to come through. Those who may be here today that are at a standstill, the doors seem to be closed in their personal life, their, their personal desire to serve you. Maybe they, they want to serve you but don't, need, don't know how to break out, don't know where. You are the key to them having a ministry. Maybe they're being overlooked by some aspect of this church that we're not even aware of their talent and their gift. Lord Jesus, build your church. Build Valley to represent you. And may we on the 39th year Sunday know forever you've made the difference here, Lord. You've been our doorman. You've been the doorkeeper. Oh, I could write a book on the weaknesses we've had to live with, overcome, and get through. But on our worst day, Jesus, it's been your strength, your authority, and your oversight that has made the difference so that none of us can brag about men. We will give glory to Jesus. Bless your holy name. Amen.